What we culturally think is that my work establishes my identity. So resting is an exercise in oblivion. It's, it's I'm nobody if I rest. So I think you have to get underneath that belief so that leaders understand that rest is like the soil in which good work grows. Welcome to the Renovare Podcast, a place for honest conversations about interactive life with God. I'm Nathan Foster, and today I'm really excited to share with you something a little different in this episode. I sat down with three people who've each been involved in founding and leading an organization. Organizations whose mission is devoted to working with Christian leaders in a spiritual formation context. Our guest today is Steve Machia from Leadership Transformations. Christy Galtier from Soul Shepherding, and Alan Fadling from Unhurried Living. The amount of years of experience and published books these three folks represent is quite profound. And the collective wisdom and synergy of us sitting down and talking together was really helpful. I suspect not just for leaders, but anyone who wants to better understand and support those who give so much to serve us. Okay, this is a special one because I got three amazing people in the same call. So could I get you guys to maybe say your name and introduce yourself a little and a little bit about the work you do? Start with Alan. Well, thanks. Uh, yeah, I'm Alan Fadling. My wife and I um, launched a nonprofit called Unhurried Living a little over five years ago. Um, really, what we're trying to do is help leaders rediscover the genius of Jesus' unhurried way. We think that's a beautiful description of his own inner life and his way of ministering and leading. And so that's a little bit about us. Thanks, Alan. Christy? My name is Christy Caltier, and my husband, Bill, and I have an organization called Soul Shepherding. It's a nonprofit ministry that we have been blessed to minister to those that are serving Jesus, walking with Jesus, to really help them grow in their intimacy with Jesus, their connection, their authentic and ongoing relationship with the Lord, and also their relational emotional health. Our background is in psychology. We both have our doctorates in clinical psychology and spent the first couple decades of our work together, both pastoring in the church and also in private practice, just in the pool of pain with people. And out of that came to understand just the need in the church for greater emotional and spiritual health. And so offering that to just help people be healthier and whole and holy so they can really thrive with Jesus in their life and in their ministry. Very nice. Thanks, Christy. And Steve? I'm Steve Machia, and my wife and I founded a ministry 18 years ago called Leadership Transformations. Uh, she's not a part of the day-to-day -day work uh, directly, but very indirectly through uh, relationships and connections with our board and our team. Our ministry focuses on leaders and teams and helps them prioritize the care and nurture of their soul as their number one priority. And we have a variety of programs. Uh, we have our certificate program in spiritual direction called SELA, and we have a certificate program in formational leadership called Emmaus, and we also do a lot of work at Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary, 
helping master's level students uh, prioritize their soul and provide co-curricular spiritual formation experiences for them. So our yeah, we're we're enjoying this season of life and ministry despite the pandemic and yeah, despite being online for just about everything over the past 15 months, we'd much rather be in person and we're looking forward to uh, getting back into that priority in the coming days. So delighted to be representing the East Coast uh, while <laughs> Alan and Christy represent the, the West Coast. So thrilled to be a part of this with you, Nathan. Thank you. Thank you, Steve. Yeah, that's right. Steve's in Boston, Alan and Christy in California, and I'm in Colorado. So I got three different time zones sitting here. It's interesting to me as each of you talk that your spouses were involved in forming the, the work you did. So I might think a little bit about that if there's some connection. But the first question I have for you is if you go back to when things kind of started and you went in this direction, like why leaders? What was it in you that, that felt compelled to, to, to move in that direction? For Bill and I, it was because we really saw the impact that leaders have, the influence that they have, and that when they are healthy in their soul, it spreads. The fruit of that is so much bigger. And likewise, when they're neglecting their soul care, when their spiritual formation is not in a good place, there can be great devastation to the body of Christ. No, that's really right. Um, I I think what I would say is that um, I was a leader who needed what we do. And then I was a leader who benefited from the kinds of things we do because of mentors that God brought into my life. And so we very much wanted to come alongside others like us who uh, were discouraged or weary or needing crisper vision of what God might have been inviting them to. And so that's really been our heart. We've, we've wanted to live and work at the intersection of you know, spiritual formation and leadership development, the inner, the outer, the, the prayerful and the, the servanthood. Um, so that's a little bit about kind of our journey, I think. I think for us, um, it began with what I was experiencing and the transformation I was going through as I was engaged in spiritual direction. And I was in a very busy ministry uh, responsibility at the time. And we were growing an organization and we were being strategic in all of our planning and our initiatives. And we were, yeah, I think I was pushing and driving myself and everybody around me as far and as fast as I could. But I was experiencing at the same time a radical uh, transformation in me where I was being taught and encouraged to pray, to rest, to trust, to slow down, to enjoy the delight of being a child of God. And I was realizing there was a disparity here between the way in which I was living and what my heart was crying out for. So my wife and I left a very comfortable ministry position and had one check in our pocket from one donor who believed that something was happening. And we just made the biggest step of faith of our life and ventured into LTI. And I can't believe it's been 18 years now since the, the first step of faith. And it was a huge step of faith. I thought I was going to be a laughing stock of the Christian community uh, because I was quite fearful as we launched. I was excited before we launched. And then when reality hit, it was like, oh my gosh, what have we just done? And um, 
God has been so kind, so faithful. And I think what we've tried to do is around the adage that we say, you know, as the as the leader goes, so goes the organization. But more importantly, as the soul of the leader goes, so goes the leader. So we really want to plummet the depths of the leader's soul, uh, knowing that from that place, many more marvelous things will occur. And um, so, yeah, we've just watched that happen. And I think we're all a part of a movement, sort of a modern day movement that I would say began with Renovari. Um, you're, you're our... You're our leader, Nathan, and um, the rest of us have been kind of catching, playing catch-up ball. Yeah, that's that's where we're coming from. We really do care about leaders and teams because we know they impact the life and ministry that they're touching on a day-to-day basis. It matters. It matters a lot. It does. It's, it's, it's important work. What do you guys see as some of the challenges that leaders in the Christian community face today? Well... There are a lot of them, aren't there? I mean, there are some that are just perennial challenges, and some of them are unique to this uh, sort of year and a half or so in which we've found ourselves. But one of the challenges that I find with leaders is um, nobody seems to be asking them about their souls. Now, that's why I think we do. But most of the time, their boards or their constituents or the congregants or whoever it is that sort of they, they serve and who ask questions about their lives are mostly asking about their outer life. They're asking questions about their performance and their strategic engagement and all these things. And those matter. And they really do. Rarely are they being asked, how's your soul? Rarely are they being asked questions about how they're cultivating spiritual practices that keep them in living contact with God. You'd sort of think that's essential, and yet it often seems like no one's asking that question. So that's, at least for us, that's one of the challenges and one of the reasons we do what we do. We want to make intentional what others sometimes assume. So I think that's a a big one from my vantage point. I think another is that the work that God has called them to do, it's great work. It's important work. It's compelling work. And there is so much good work to do that it can be hard for leaders to actually recognize that a part of that good work that's really necessary that they are also being asked to do by the Lord is along the line of what Alan said, and that is stewarding their own soul and keeping their own relationship with Christ strong. So I think that that the ministry in and itself and the fruitfulness of it can be, it can be addictive to be a part of what God is doing and to see what he's doing through you. Yeah. In like fashion, I would say um, leaders simply don't rest. Rest is no longer a part of the vocabulary or the priority list. Uh, For some reason, we have expunged the fourth commandment out of the 10 and believe that it's okay to abide by the other nine, but completely forget the need for Sabbath rest. And repeatedly, over and over and over, every single day, every single leader that I talk to, they're not resting. They're simply not resting. And the pandemic hasn't helped. You'd think that maybe that's helped, but it's actually done the opposite. It's created a lot more stress and a lot more activity and a lot more fretfulness and a really a lack of a still, quiet, peace-filled center. So I'm, I think that's my number one concern, 
is that leaders simply don't know how to rest and we don't know what it means to rest. Therefore, we're not pursuing it and we're not encouraging it among the constituencies that we're called to serve. So I think we've got a a drought of rest. Steve, I'd almost take it a little further in the sense that um, it, it's not necess- it's not even on people's mind, but it's a it's a virtue not to rest, right? Oh. To keep pushing through and pushing through. That we value that, and and I think there's a number of values beyond that that are really destructive that that go without saying in kind of Christian culture and the way the way we look at our leaders. How does a leader break out of that system that is? pulling to do more and more and more and to be more closed, right? That other piece of, of, of not sharing or not feeling safe or space to share. Um, any of you have any thoughts on those two ideas? I think it really helps to have others who can mentor you, who can teach you, who can help you to learn those practices, who can give you the permission and help you to see that it's actually a part of loving God and your neighbor as you love yourself. Because oftentimes they don't, they aren't getting that feedback and they wouldn't even know where to start. Yeah, there needs to be an invitation to rest. And hopefully through the invitation to rest, then a place to rest and a how to rest. And uh, that's what I love about what Alan and Christy are doing is, and what we're trying to do is to invite people into rest and into a deeper trust of God. So everything related to spiritual formation needs to be invitational, including and beginning with rest. I think one of the things I've noticed about leaders is, you know, I think there's this question of identity. We we have an essential belief that I am what I do, even though we would say that's not how it works, that I am a child of God, and that my identity is rooted in who God says I am and all that. But what we culturally think is that my work establishes my identity. So resting is an exercise in oblivion. It's, it's, I'm nobody if I rest. So I think you have to get underneath that belief so that leaders understand that rest is like the soil in which good work grows instead of being a break from proving who you are. I think until you address that basic philosophical understanding, it's really hard to encourage leaders to rest because they still have somewhere in the back of their head that they're not getting anything done and they're not being faithful and they're not engaging in what God's given them to do. I want them to know Jesus is trying to give them rest. Are they willing to receive that from Jesus just as faithfully as they receive work from Jesus? And since our culture no longer promotes rest or Sabbath, like it used to when I was growing up, you know, there was a distinct difference between Sunday and every other day of the week. So there's no longer the cultural encouragement. My, my prayer is that the Christian culture will make it a priority to the place where it is a wider priority than just those of us who are studying this and talking about this and encouraging people in our spiritual formation ministries to consider rest. Imagine what it would be like if the Christian family actually said, you know what, we're going to practice Sabbath, which means there's going to be at least a full day that's going to look completely different than the rest of our week and invite people into that place of Sabbath rest where that's a good beginning point, at least, where our children and our grandchildren will understand that this is a priority too. 
think another resistance to rest comes out of fear. Because when we do finally stop and rest, oftentimes a lot of the things we've been trying to repress or ignore, we find them unable to shut them down and our defense mechanisms of busyness and distraction are no longer working for us. And sometimes there can be kind of a terror of what do I do with all these emotions or all these problems that are resurfacing? And so I think we also sometimes need some support and some understanding, some tools and a safe place to be able to go into rest. And I think resting in community is an area that's really important and really helpful. So I know that's what we're doing in each of our ministries, too, is providing spaces and opportunities and some trainings even in resting together and having this rhythm of time alone in solitude and silence and then coming back into a safe community where you can process that. And that's been really key and helpful for leaders that haven't yet learned some of these practices. I mean, all three of you in your work are providing safe spaces for people. And, and I, I get the sense that when you close the door and give people space, the tears come, the, 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 stories, the stories come. Um, what would you say to someone who's, who's not connected with a, with a program or a ministry that's caring for their soul, uh, who really wants to be open, vulnerable, honest. Um, how do you do that when you're surrounded in a community that kind of needs you to, to have everything together? You probably can't start in their community that needs you to be leading them. You need to find a safe place where you can just humble yourself before the Lord, where you can be really emotionally honest with yourself, with God, and with another safe person. Yeah, and this may sound overly simplistic, but I would I'd just start by saying that uh, pray and ask God to provide a someone or a someplace where you could take a first step. You know, um, Jesus says to his, his uh, uh, 72 when they've come back from a big, busy ministry trip, uh, it's, uh, the gospel says so much so that they didn't even have time to eat. And that's where we hear this wonderful line, come away with me to a quiet place by yourselves and find some rest. So I, I, I just think, Believe that Jesus wants to be a good shepherd and ask the good shepherd how that next step might go. And I hope that at least there's a place to find one person to share that journey with, because it can be a lonely journey when you know that your heart's hunger is for something different than the constancy of heavy duty pace of life and, you know, the, really the trajectory toward burnout. Which and there's a wall out there for everyone to hit. The question is, when are we going to either hit it or recognize that it's there? And I want to avoid it um, because we have that propensity to produce, and we have that propensity to be competitive. So we're going to do whatever we can to to win in this life, and therefore, you know, leaders get caught up in that big time, and we have to upend that. We have to we have to have a an alternative approach to that. Because there's no place in the scriptures that says compete with one another. There's no there's no <laughs> one another like that. Instead, it's to cooperate, to love, and to serve, and to come alongside, and to pray with, and bear the burdens of, and all the rest. It's not compete. But this world, everything about this world is about competition. Got to win. Got to be first. And if you're not, you're kind of out of it. And that's where we need to be able to say, no, <laughs> that's not that's not kingdom priority. 
that's earthly priority. That's man priority. That's not, that's not God priority. So wherever we can promote uh, the upside down, sort of inside out approach, I think we need to. It's, it's a desperate need today. And it seems to me, um, you know, as I'm thinking now a little more real time, nearly every leader, maybe I can actually say every leader I'm talking to is already tired. And I'm finding myself really concerned uh, as whatever in the world reopening begins to look like for us. I really feel like a lot of leaders have been pushing and holding it together and trying to get to whatever some finish line they have out there in the blurry future. I really am concerned that a level of weariness and tiredness and bordering on burnout is really going to be a significant concern for the next six months, 12 months. So I'm, I'm glad that the four of us are providing opportunities for leaders like that. I think the need is going to be huge for leaders to step in and find you know rest for their souls. Yeah, that article in uh, the New York Times that described the word of the year, the word being languishing. You know, we're not necessarily depressed, but we're languishing and we're certainly not thriving. So how do we get out of languishing to thriving? That's where, Christy, you need to tell us, you know, because it's an emotional well-being thing that if we're languishing, that means we're not in good space. And I couldn't agree more. When I read that article, it's just like, yeah, that's me. I'm la- I've been languishing. I understand what that feels like. And, you know, I love my home, but you know, being here 24-7 for 15, 16 months, it's just like, whoa, Christy, what do you think? I mean, help us on that emotional piece of it. Well, I'd love to use that word invitation that you were talking about before, Steve, and say that our languishing really is an invitation maybe to do some lamenting. I think that there is a lot of grief that we're all feeling. We all have experienced a lot of loss in this last 15 months. And some of us have been so busy just trying to survive, just trying to make this pivot into technology and learning new ways to do ministry. You know, so many of the pastors that we're in contact with have started whole new ministries in their churches, caring for the poor, feeding the hungry. There's been a kind of crisis reaction and then needing to learn how to do their ministry, take it all online and the whole technology piece. And so these have been huge undertakings and big pivots in their life and their ways of doing ministry. And they haven't had that time to even lament the losses of being face to face with people. I, I heard somebody this week say to me, you know, we hired during the pandemic and I have employees. I've never seen their whole face. I've only seen them on a screen behind, you know, or I've only seen them with a mask. I, or I went to a grocery store this week and now in California, we just got the mask mandate lowered and the checker was just like, you have a beautiful smile. I haven't seen smiles for 15 (laughs) months. It's so good to see a smile. Thank you for coming in today. I think these represent some things that these are new, unprecedented things we've experienced these last 15 months. And I think the amount that has changed in our society, in our work, in our relationships, in our communities, and then in our world with the political division and divisiveness that we've seen, and that's come into our leadership. We, every leader I've talked to has people on totally different sides and perspectives within their organizations that they're trying to lead. And it's been 
just depleting and exhausting and scary for them to know how do I leave these people where they are seeing things so differently. And so there's been a lot of decision fatigue that a lot of the leaders that I talk to also have because they're having to navigate new territory and they're having to make decisions and unprecedented things where they no longer have prediction what the results of their decision will be. And so I think that just to take time to really ponder their experience and to lament some of these difficult experiences that they've had to the Lord, to have safe places, to be able to cry about those losses, to feel those losses, to be able to, to get some help and some empathy for some of the language that they they don't even have for what they feel is really, we see this rhythm in the Psalms all the time where the psalmist is is lamenting and, and praying these emotionally honest prayers to the Lord. And then we see him finishing up with these great words of renewed faith and hope. There's a piece that I'm hearing and what you guys are saying, that, and, and I think it's quite real. When we rest or slow down, sometimes emotions come up. That's quite normal. It's, it's an opportunity to, you know, to be honest if we, if we have the courage uh, to do that. But I, I think staying busy is quite adaptive. We don't quite have to deal with reality in, in, in maybe the way that we're invited to. This is a, I mean, it's a unique season in history right now, but it is an opportunity for a reset. And as people go back into in, in face being together or being together in person and such, it, it is a chance to begin to make some shifts. And I'm always struck by uh, how secondary um, uh, some of these things are for people, uh, as opposed to kind of a priority that if I'm going to do this and do this in a good way with some longevity, then I, I need to be smart about that. A lot of this, though, ties into the community. How can lay folk best help their leaders? The word that comes to me as you as you share that question is the word covenant. And the reason why is that I'm finding that as we're getting back together again, we may have to restore and renew or perhaps even write a covenant. So, for example, I did our first in-person retreat a couple of weeks ago, and I said, you know, it won't be helpful for us if we talk about politics, masks or no masks, vax or no vax. It's not going to help us. So whatever it is that you'd like to get off your chest now, let's talk about it now. <laughs> and then let's drop it, And because I really don't think it's going to be constructive for us to talk about any of that for the rest of our retreat. And then while we're on retreat, can we make a simple covenant to each other of the kinds of things that would be helpful for each of us to fully experience our time together? And that was it was remarkable because, you know, the snarky comments were done after the first 30 minutes. And we could just sort of let all that go, put that aside, and fully dive into our experience together and with God. And so I say the word covenant because I, I do think it's simple. It doesn't have to be complex, but a few things that we're going to kind of promise to each other about life together so that we can enjoy it, not be grudge it or be angry in it or be frustrated in it. And so I'm trying to resurrect that concept among the little communities that I'm a part of at our church, at LTI, at Gordon-Conwell. You know, let's revisit. Do we have a covenant? Do we have a stated way that we want to be together in Christ? 
in this way, whether it's on retreat for one-off or long-term life together. And I find people are super responsive to it um, because it's, it's simple. It doesn't have to be, you know, too wordy, but it can define the way in which you can spend time together and enjoy it. And I hope that that comes from both the follower and the leader, that there's a desire for a safe way of being together that's that's not going to lead to judgment or shaming or or division. Um, let's let's leave some of those or let's figure out a way to hold them looser so that we're not going to be confined by them as we spend time together. It just to uh, affirm that because if we don't have some explicit covenants, we will just operate on our implicit ones. And every community has those. And the uh, autopilot versions of those are often not so great. So I love that very much. The one thought I had as you asked that question, Nathan, is I think it would help so much if congregations would let their pastors be human and don't expect them to be superhuman. Uh, Maybe I'm just talking from my own experience, but it always has seemed like pastors are supposed to be men and women who have no troubles and who have no struggles and who are an example of apparently perfection, Um, except nobody can follow that example. And so it just doesn't work on so many levels. So to let your pastor be human and to assume that they are human with needs and struggles and troubles and griefs and losses, I think that would be one of the greatest gifts you could give, even though some of us as leaders, some pastors will struggle to enter into that. One of the things that has been really important for Bill and I in the years as leaders is to learn to be able to set boundaries on our ministry. And so I think to understand that we need boundaries, that boundaries are important, that Jesus set boundaries. We have a whole Bible study on socialshepherding.org on Jesus set boundaries, where we just look through scripture and look at all the times that Jesus set boundaries in his life and ministry and how we can follow his example in this. I think another thing that we learned was how much we needed a sabbatical and how the Lord really used our sabbatical and our resistance to that and our fear of taking a sabbatical to actually give us an appetite for rest that has been so helpful and so crucial for us in our ministry, in the busy and demanding seasons, to be able to remember what it felt like to get that level of rest that we experienced on our sabbatical. And so I would say support sabbaticals for your leadership. They are enriching times if they're done right. And unfortunately, a lot of leaders don't know how to do a sabbatical right. It's not a vacation. It's not a time off of work to do house projects, you know, to just busy yourself in other arenas that you haven't had time to deal with, but to really learn biblical use of sabbatical and have a spacious season of that where you can really go deep in your relationship with the Lord and that soul work can really be, have a, a profound impact on your rhythm as you re-enter ministry. Christy, what, what is a biblical view of sabbatical? Well, the Lord talks about sabbatical and, and rest in many different ways in Scripture, even for the land and letting it rest every seven years. And so a, a lot of us take sabbaticals every seven years as a minimum. And a sabbatical can be you know, as short as a month or even 
three weeks some people can only get. But if you can really stretch it to a longer season, even some number of months, but to, to start with what you can get, don't wait because you can't get a longer period of time. Make use of take what you can get. And you're, you are really cutting off all of your normal ministry work and activity during that time. But you're cutting it off for the reason of being present to God, to be able to, to really bring your full self and your full intention and energy to, to doing some soul work of being emotionally honest and present to the Lord, of having a spacious place where you get free of the distractions. In some ways, you can really engage in some healthy disciplines, spiritual disciplines that will foster your relationship with Jesus, your intimacy with Him, and your growth in Him. Learning to really listen to the Lord. And we have to be quiet and be still and have boundaries to push out those other distractions and voices. Learning to even identify some of those old voices in our heads, some of those tapes of our internalized parents and other influencers. It's interesting. Um, I mean, these three pieces I'm hearing of covenant and support and then and sabbatical. And I have this kind of picture, if I can work with my own question, of, you know, elder boards or others that are dealing with some of the accountability of, of, of leaders rather than looking at the questions of growth and what are we doing and how, you know, are we impacting the kingdom in external ways, but demanding a sort of health. Right. Not just encouraging sabbatical, but demanding it, not just encouraging boundaries and rest and health, but just setting it as a kind of this is the way we're going to be uh, as a ministry. And I because I think a lot of times people just need a little permission, you know, to move into some of this as this kind of longing, this awareness of a need. And if others are standing around saying, no, a sabbatical will be good, not for you, just for you, but for us. Um, I mean, that's. Maybe sometimes all people need. Yeah, I think that's good. Um, I, to me, that goes back to Steve's comment about covenants, that suddenly now the idea of sabbatical would be a part of our culture rather than a one-off or a response to somebody's failure or struggle or running out of gas dramatically. And, and the thing I would want to say to boards is it is in your interest that the leaders of your organization are well, because it is very expensive when they are not. I mean, it just, if you have to be utilitarian about it, it is very expensive when a leader goes off the rails or when a leader completely runs out of gas. It costs your community, your congregation, your organization immensely. And it's a far smaller and strategic cost to be sure that leaders are well cared for in your organization. And most churches and organizations don't have boards that are educated around this. So to even say to them, you know, here's, here's what we've learned, here's what we've discovered, perhaps even a coach for the, for the board or for the pastor or the leader to help them think through, why are we doing this? What is the time frame? How are things going to be covered so that we're not getting sloppy in the process here, but everything will continue to move on without the leader present so coaching and education and resources to help churches and organizations come to the place where they understand and identify with um, the importance of a sabbatical, that it would be a time of life-giving rest, not a time of redirected uh, productivity. And that's, that's the, because, you know, let's face it, most of our 
educational institutions takes sabbatical in a completely different direction. It's to complete a writing project or to travel or to get some new thing done or accomplished for the, the wider entity. And what we're talking about here in terms of a biblical understanding of sabbatical, it's to purely rest. It's to find life-giving rest all over again. And that rest is spiritual rest and emotional, relational, physical, vocational, you know, every aspect of our lives. Uh, we need to figure out how, how can I truly find rest? And we find that many board members don't get it and don't understand the importance of it. And they're like, why should he get it or she get it? We never get it. It's not a part of my business life or my business career. So for some organizations, it's a really tough sell because they're saying, you mean to tell me you're telling us, let this person go, we're going to pay them and may even pay for some of the things they're going to do. And so a little edumacation, you know, goes a long way here. And so we need to, we need to make sure that we're not just sort of blue skying this concept. This is this takes a lot of hard work and effort uh, on the front end to make sure that it's a successful sabbatical on the back end. I like that phrase, not redirected productivity, because that's the default right now. It's the you know all these things that I've been wanting to get done. I want to talk a little bit about families. I mean, it's a cliche that Christian leaders. <laughs> Their families take some hits in this. Do you have any thoughts or, or word for how to do this well? I think maybe we would all agree that we would love it if leaders thought that their first ministry was their own family, their spouse, their kids, that it's too easy in ministry to chase the headline-making achievement organizationally and not to do the good, ongoing, long-term, quiet, hidden work of just loving your husband or wife, loving your children well. And if you can do that well, it will translate into the way you lead a congregation. It will translate into the way you lead an organization. But if you're not a loving husband or wife, if you're not a loving dad or mom, it's going to be really hard to be a loving pastor or leader in your organization. Yeah, our children are our first followers. And they're the ones that really see our character. And so it is so important that we are really receiving Jesus' commandment. In summary, the commandment's there to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself, that your family is your neighbor. But that's, that's part of what he's talking about right there. And we see even Jesus modeling that all those years before he started his public ministry, after his father had died. Many of those, I believe, were him loving his family, caring for his mom and his siblings there faithfully. Yeah, I agree that family is a priority. Um, but I will admit, I'm a broken man. I have not done parenting perfectly uh, and marriage perfectly. I think the most important thing for my kids and my wife to know is that um, I'm aware of my brokenness, and I'm a, I apologize for the times when I have not been uh, giving them their fullest attention or my best time, um, because often throughout my ministry career of 40-plus years, there's been many of the days that everybody else got my best time, not my family, not my wife, my kids, and formative seasons of life when I was traveling and missing opportunities to be by their side. So 
the older I get, the more aware I am of my brokenness and my desperate need uh, for God's grace, mercy, love, and forgiveness so that I can be present with my wife and my kids as a genuine dad. You know, we just had Father's Day and I love being with my family more than anybody else, but I know that I haven't always been there for them. So I, I want to make sure we give space for parents to acknowledge that life has been hard. Life is hard. And sometimes we're doing a really good job and sometimes we're doing a really poor job. Um, but we want to remain faithful and true to what God has called us to as in our marriages and in our family life and give our kids permission to speak honestly of their experience with us growing up in this household. And hopefully they're walking with the Lord and carrying on in life. And But I know there's no no pill we can give them that guarantees that. And I, I work with a lot of pastors and leaders that are just heartbroken that their kids aren't walking with the Lord. They're not doing great. And, and I want to say to them, I get it. It's hard, you know, and there's no guarantees that our kids are going to be, you know, just where we want them to be, you know, but if we can be genuine and vulnerable and honest and forgiving, then I think we're going to be, you know, pursuing wholeness together uh, through our brokenness. So important there, Steve. Thank you for your honesty and your humility there, and also for the grace and empathy in your articulations there for parents, because this is something that we often don't learn until later in life. And there's there's so much uh, competing with our time and energy for our families, and it's so easy to take our families for granted. And parenting, quite honestly, can be exhausting and feels like thankless work. And so when you're getting your, you know, all kinds of rewards in your career and you're feeling all kinds of responsibilities and pressures to provide for the family, it's just complicated. There, this, you know, loving your family first isn't always as straightforward as easy as it sounds. Yeah, so true. I sometimes think it's it's harder at home. Mm-hmm. They know us, right? I mean, they're not impressed, and, and that's a good thing. Um, and and our our spouses are are often good, you know, thermometers for us to to look at ourselves. But but also they're forgiving oftentimes, and so so we can get away with more than than we should, I suspect. But it catches up. It catches up. Could you paint for me a picture? of a leader who's doing things well, who's, who's functioning with the sort of health and, and being effective for the kingdom. What is, do you have a picture for us of, of what that person life looks like? I think it's a person who is aware that um, there's a hard side of leadership and a soft side of leadership. And we're not gonna get it right or do it perfectly. But sometimes there are hard decisions that need to be made, and everyone's not going to be happy with the decision that we're making, but that may be the right way to go. So we're going to make that hard decision, and we're going to pursue the you know, the financial and the strategic and the number crunching and all the rest that is on the harder side of the equation. But we also need to pay attention to the softer side, and that is the relational spiritual, the the heart-focused um, side of leadership. And so I think the healthy leader understands that there is both 
They have both sides to them. And both need to be attended to. We can't we can't go totally one direction and lose out on the other. It's a both and. And figuring out a way to um, hold those in tension. I don't like the word balance. I don't use the word balance. I think balance is impossible. Tension is real. So I, I, I want to come alongside leaders and help them understand how to embrace the tensions that exist as they're pursuing their goals and their objectives and as they're pursuing their the care and nurture of their soul. So what that looks like, it's male, female, it's young, old, um, scrappy and you know not very sophisticated as well as well put together. It's a mixture of the way in which it's expressed. But what I want to do is come alongside leaders from all different stratas of life and help them care for the tensions that exist. Some of the healthy leaders that we are blessed to interact with are leaders that have, they've really come to the end of their false self. They've been willing to die to their false self and to discover their true self. And they have been willing to uh, event, now it comes to the Lord and not really seek to secure themselves or their reputations. They've learned to set those boundaries They've learned that they're they're wounded healers, like like Steve. They've learned to be able to be honest about their the areas where they struggle, the areas where they've had some failures. They've been humbled by that, and yet they know that God can use those learnings as well, and that they can be honest and vulnerable and offer even those areas where they have failed or where they have unique hurts, and you know, being those jars of clay with those cracks in them that the Lord's light shines through and they, they can offer their whole self to the Lord because of that. Yeah. I really like both of those insights as I've been watching leaders who I admire, you know, that their way of life is increasingly modeling. What I want to say is modeling something they're learning from Jesus that they're, they're learning maybe to use Steve's language of the hard and the soft. They're learning from Jesus that there are times when you have to disappoint the crowd. And you have to go to the lonely place, even though the crowd still has people needing to be healed or cared for or, or instructed or whatever, that Jesus is the one who shows us what that looks like and how that works. And yet there's also the soft side of who Jesus is, that little kids seem incredibly comfortable coming right on up to him. And uh, I think that's a beautiful image. So I love the idea that you know Jesus invites us to come to him. That's an invitation of communion. That's an invitation of making you know, uh, relationship with the Father central, uh, seeing to it that there's always time and space to cultivate that friendship, that it, that we're invited into this father-son intimacy, uh, all of that remarkable stuff. And there's this way of learning to follow Jesus, his ability to do the sorts of things the Father's doing and say the sorts of things the Father's saying in the real world in which he's living, in the real world in which he's trying to mentor these 12 and these 72 in this real world world where he's navigating the expectations of the crowd, unrealistic as they often are. So I just think there's something beautiful in this discipleship to Jesus, both for our intimacy with God and for our cooperation with God in the work he's entrusted to us. Last question. How do you guys, as leaders, care for your soul? I'll start by saying it's been 21 years since our last sabbatical. And that was the year I turned 40. 
in 10 days, at least as our recording this episode now, um, we will have a one month sabbatical. It's the first time, like I say, in 21 years. That has taken an immense amount of work to put into place to get the details solved so we can completely stop work, not look at email, not look at social media, not check our PO box, not not take any appointments. Uh, we have desperately needed this. Uh, so that's been really critical. And then there are just some patterns of life that are that we've had to double down on in this last year and a half. Um, and mostly they are the disengagement practices like Steve highlighting Sabbath. That's been so important to have a day that I just stop. Uh, it's very tempting when we're a little, we feel like a little bit of a mom and pop sort of nonprofit that, you know, we need to keep doing things to help this little baby of ours do okay. It's just very tempting to keep going. So um, that's been, that's been important to find those kind of disengagement from the work so we can engage with God's sorts of practices. That's been really uh, critical for us. Uh, for me, it's Sabbath and Sabbath moments. So Sabbath is critical to the care and nurture of my soul. And extended time in my prayer closet on Sabbath is essential. Uh, Nathan and I have had conversations over the years about journaling, and I love journaling. I'm a big proponent of it. And um through Nathan's encouragement several years back, um, I started doing all of my journaling in colored pens. So I don't do anything in black ink or blue ink anymore. It's just choosing the color that fits the journaling space. Uh, I write really slow. I've brought back my kindergarten penmanship to make sure that I'm writing letters slowly and beautifully and crafting them so that they're meaningful to me. Um, and so that's what I do on Sabbath. Is if you see, I'm in my prayer closet, and I've got my journal in front. I'm selecting from my colored pencils and pens and just trying to create something because I have found that beauty has has needs to invade ugly. And there's just so much about the world that's ugly that I've needed beauty. And this is one way in which I've added beauty into my experience. I'm I'm not going to showcase those journals. They're very, <laughs> they're not the greatest thing in the world, but they're meaningful to me because it slowed me down long enough to pray and pause and notice. And so the quieter disciplines, the alone time, uh, not just on Sabbath, but throughout the week, as many times as I can to just break away to be in the word, to pray, to journal. Uh, I started a gratitude journal several years ago as well. I just try to fill that as often as possible with, you know, things that I'm grateful for. I find that that heals my broken soul as well. It's just entering into gratitude. So just kind of simple things, but they've been incredibly life giving for me. And I would say life saving. Those are great practices. I, Bill and I have some rhythms that we practice regularly that have been critical and so helpful for us in joining Jesus and caring for our soul. And like we mentioned, sabbatical as one of those rhythms, and then you know, continue to go on retreat regularly. 
is something that we are able to do more often. It's an important part of the rhythm. A weekly Sabbath, we're really disciplined with that because we just need that hard stop, that time when we just cut off all of our work to just be with the Lord, to worship Him, to, to be with each other, to rest, to get out of nature, like you mentioned, Steve, and see God's beauty and let Him minister His beauty to our souls. We encounter God's beauty, we encounter His glory there, and it does just, it prompts the gratitude, it prompts worship for us. And then we also have found it so important to have spiritual friendships and people that we can be really honest and open with who know us totally, who we don't have to hide anything from, people that we can have soul talk with, where we can really bear the deepest inner workings of our soul and have that safe space for that. So it's a discipline of spiritual direction and meeting with a spiritual director is important to us in that as well, so that we're not living this hidden private life, but that you know we have people that we're living our our life open with and before and who were giving permission to speak in to our lives, what they see that we're blind to as well. Um, definitely engaging with scripture every day that, um, that can look different. That can look as little as praying a breath prayer, praying a, a scripture as a breath prayer, or it can be um, going over a passage or a chapter of scripture that we've that I've memorized while I'm laying in bed at night or while I'm brushing my teeth or I'm at a stoplight in the car, but engaging and letting God's word really minister and wash my soul is also important rhythm for us. And then little ones like the monks have this word they call statio, where they will practice showing up early to appointments in order to be present to God and another person. Uh, that is something that helps us to not just depend upon ourselves or not go through life in a hurry. And then taking Selah moments, moments just to pause and to, to breathe deeply and to look up to the Lord and to check in and remember God with us, His Spirit in us, and, and just reorient, what am I relying on here? Am I relying on myself? Am I relying on the Holy Spirit? with me? Am I in tune and walking in step with the Spirit? I'm hearing a lot of life-giving practices, and and th that's been an important thing for me, and I actually even keep a list of things that, that breathe life, and then when I have space, going that direction as opposed to, you know, kind of numbing out. And part of that life-giving is play, creativity, laughter, cooking, walking, you know, doing some of the basics of life with a, a mindset toward a restful or a creative practice. I love, I love the list as well. I, one thing I was going to say is that we who are involved in spiritual formation ministry need to be careful that we're not um, that we're not ignoring the need for us to do these things privately and just for us. Because even retreats and direction and spiritual friendships, it's there's so much, at least for me, a propensity to be present for others or to be available or to leading leading the retreat or guiding the conversation or and ugh, that's exhausting. You know, there are just times we just need to make sure we're posturing ourselves to receive just for us. Because if we're not healthy, if we're not in good space, uh, what are we offering? to those that are coming to us. And then I want to be careful too, that I don't see those practices as functional. 
you know, that I got to do it just to say that I know how to do it as opposed to just purely just being and being present uh, with God and with each other. And maybe one last little simple thing that's been helping me. I've been taking Jesus kind of seriously when he says, look at the birds. So (laughs) in the mornings, I make my coffee. I go to our backyard in the cool of the morning. And the first thing I do is just watch for and listen for the birds in our little neighborhood. And the thing I keep learning is they do not seem very anxious. Mm -hmm. (laughs) The the crows sound irritated, but (laughs) most of the other birds sound happy. They, they sound joyful, and I see them taking baths on the lawn and finding breakfast. And I mean, it just there's something simple about that that's been helping me, especially in this pandemic. Like I've needed to see that even though the news feeds are really frantic, the birds seem okay. <laughs> it's funny you mentioned that, Alan, because as, as you guys were talking, I was thinking just practices for myself. What One of mine, and it sounds silly, but it's huge. I, I, I've got some chickens. And I just go sit and watch them. <laughs> I just, you know, and inevitably I yeah. learn something mm-hmm. and I, I find myself praying and I find, I don't know. That's it's nice. just, it's, and I, I, Jan Johnson was mentioning that, that when Dallas would teach, he would go with the, with the seminary students, he'd go on about docs, apparently, you know, watch the docs, watch the ducks. And uh, <laughs> there's something, there's something significant there. Two other things I'll say, and 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 then and I'll let you go. Uh, one is reading, reading books, particularly that are not relevant for you know my ministry, and uh, you know allowing that to be there. And then the other one that's been so helpful for me is having experiences with God that I don't talk about. Mm. Because there's this sort of kiss and tell, mm-hmm. right? Everything now becomes a sermon, and to just go, no, this is not get. This is me and God, and to keep that uh, sacred, it's it's just been really helpful. That's good. I can't thank you guys enough. This was so good. Um, just so much wisdom in 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 this room. Christy, could could you give us a prayer uh, for for folks as we close? I would love to. Thank you. Jesus, how grateful we are to you, that you pursue us, that you do invite us to come near to you, even as little children, that you have a blessing to give us, that you see us, you long for us to open to receive your love and your life. There's so much more that you have for us, Lord. And we thank you for your patience, your empathy for us in all those tensions and all the distractions and all the obstacles and all the fear and all the anxieties and all the things that keep us from coming to you. Thank you that you understand and you're patient to continue to pursue us, to smile at us and to woo us back close to you, to call us out in our true selves, to come out and to enjoy you. Lord, thank you for these friends, for this community here at Renovari, friends all looking to grow, to be formed more and more in your likeness, Jesus. And we ask that you would continue this good work in our souls of growing us in you. Lord, we thank you 
for the blessing of belonging together in your body and being connected. And we ask that you would unite us with your heart, especially in these days where there's so much division, that you would strengthen our souls so that we could overflow your living water, your, your love, your light, that we could shine it bright in this world, that others would be drawn to you, Jesus. We ask, Lord Jesus, that you would lavish your grace upon anyone in listening to this conversation that's feeling any conviction, that, that anybody that is tempted to feel any false guilt or any shame, that, Lord Jesus, that you would break through lies and accusations of the enemy with your grace, and that instead you would give them a vision of what you're drawing them to in love, and that you would speak to them by your spirit a next step, Lord, showing them that next opportunity that you are taking their hand and walking with them in. So we thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to come together, to just praise you, to just remind ourselves how good you are and how much you love us. What a good shepherd you are, leading us and guiding us now and for always. In Jesus' name, amen. Again, that was Christy Galtier from Soul Shepherding, Alan Fadling from Unhurried Living, and Steve Machia from Leadership Transformations. What a great group. You can find links to their organizations and books in the show notes. I'm Nathan Foster, and you've been listening to the Renovare Podcast. This work is made possible by the generosity of donors like you. Thank you. You can support Renovare in this podcast with a tax-deductible gift at renovare.org donate. Renovare is a Christian ecumenical renewal effort offering resources and experiences to help people become more like Jesus. You can find articles and other resources at our website, renovare.org. Subscribe to this podcast wherever you get your podcast. We love hearing your questions or thoughts. You can email at renovare.org or tweet at renovare. This podcast is produced by Brian Morricon, who also wrote the opening song titled Be Kind. Until next time, be well, friends. Be well.